This is Tailgate Till May. I'm your host, Stephen Gorgie, and I'm back for another episode to talk about what you care about most in the world of college sports. And right now it's mid-February, and that is college basketball. Tournament time is almost here, and I am here for you. As always, you can find the show on Apple, Spotify, Google, pretty much everywhere you can find podcasts, you can find this show. If you like the show, Love if you leave us a five-star review and subscribe. It helps out the show a lot. You can also find me on Twitter, at Gorgon Sports. That's where you can find my gambling picks and all of my college basketball musings. Today, I got a great show planned for you. I'm going to be talking winners and losers from the weekend. How I'm feeling about the Terps. They got a big win on Thursday and took a really disappointing road loss to Nebraska on Sunday afternoon. But first, I want to start with my takeaways from the selection committee top 16 reveal that came out on Saturday morning. Always an interesting exercise, and I feel like there's always something we can take from that exercise when the committee gives us a preview of what the tournament would look like, at least the top 16 teams, so the top four seeds, if they were seeding the tournament today. And I'll start with the one seed. So the one seeds were Alabama, Houston, Purdue, and Kansas in that order. And I think that was pretty much right going into the weekend. Those are the teams that I would have had as my number one seeds. Uh, You can quibble with the order a little bit, but I don't really have any problem with it. I think uh, it's fair enough that Alabama is the number one overall seed. Purdue's dropped a couple more games, uh, road losses, but still losses nonetheless. So I I understand them being behind Alabama and Houston. Um, And then Kansas... You know, after that win over Baylor, which we'll certainly get to, they might be higher. They might have a case to be ahead of Purdue, maybe even ahead of Houston, you know, depending on what it is that the selection committee really values because Kansas now has 13 quad one wins. They're 13 and five. The next closest team within the top 20 that I can find, and I can't imagine anybody below that would would even come close is Purdue at nine and four while Houston's four and one so obviously far fewer opportunities for uh, Houston to pick up those quad one wins than either Purdue or Kansas but 13 and five in those games is just unbelievable and that kind of brings me to my next takeaway here is that the Big 12 got the respect it rightly deserves in the top 16 there were five Big 12 teams, but in the top 12, there were five Big 12 teams. So you had Kansas as a one seed, Texas as the top two seed, Baylor as a two seed, and then Iowa State and Kansas State as three seeds. And I think this is absolutely right. I think this respect was well-earned, well-deserved. And what it tells me is that if Purdue does falter, if Houston does falter, there is a very good chance that we could actually be looking at two Big 12 teams getting onto that one line. I think that's more likely than ever after seeing after seeing how the selection committee feels about this conference. It's very possible that we could see Kansas and Texas as one seeds, obviously pending what happens with Houston and Purdue. You know, at no point during this season have has Purdue looked more questionable and more susceptible to taking some losses than they do right now. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that Purdue loses uh, a couple more games, maybe doesn't win the Big Ten tournament. I think that's very, very possible. They still have Indiana 
and Illinois. They're both home games, which is uh, a big deal in the Big Ten, but they did lose to Rutgers at home earlier this year, and then that Big Ten tournament is pretty wide open, I think. Uh, well, wide open may not be the right word, but it's going to be a battle, uh, just judging by the way this conference has gone all all year, and you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility that somebody could pull an upset on Purdue in the Big Ten tournament. So, uh, I think it's very possible that we could end up with two Big 12 two seeds. In fact, or sorry, one seeds rather. In fact, I, I think it might even be more likely that we get two Big 12 one seeds than we get a Pac-12 team as a one seed, uh, judging by the fact that Texas was ahead of Arizona and then Baylor was behind Arizona but ahead of UCLA. And so I, I, that was kind of one of my big takeaways is how much respect the committee has for the Big 12. And I think that is, is deservingly so. The second takeaway I had is that it seems like based on how these seedings were done, these rankings were done, wins matter more to the committee than losses. And I, will, I say that because Arizona and UCLA were both two seeds. But Arizona was ahead of UCLA. Arizona was ranked number six overall. UCLA was ranked eighth overall. Now, if you look at the net rankings, UCLA was number four compared to Arizona at number 11. UCLA, four and four in quad one win, or in quad one, but they do not have a loss outside of quad one. Arizona six and two against quad one, so a better record in the same amount of games played. But Arizona also has a quad two loss and a quad three loss. And what this tells me, and of course they have the head to head win right now against UCLA as, as well. And what that tells me is the committee seems to care more about who you beat and how you beat them as opposed to who you lost to. So the committee seems willing to discount Arizona's losses to Utah, Washington State, and Oregon, or and, and Stanford, rather. Stanford is the, the worst loss of them all. Uh, Stanford, 95 in Ken Palm. Stanford, 11-16 overall. Can, uh, Stanford, 5-11 and 11 in the conference. That is the worst loss that Arizona has. But it seems like they are willing to overlook that willing to say, okay, they lost this game, but they're 6-2 and two against quad one teams. They beat Tennessee out of conference. They beat Creighton out of conference. They beat San Diego State out of conference. And they beat UCLA. And that seems to matter a lot more to the committee based on how they seeded those two Pac-12 teams than who you lost to. So, it, you know, I kind of thought that Arizona had played themselves out of one-seed contention based on those losses, that doesn't seem to be the case. And I thought that UCLA would be clearly ahead of them. Again, doesn't seem to be the case based on the reveal that the committee did on Saturday morning. My next takeaway was related in some ways to this Arizona and UCLA comparison as well, but I think there's even more dramatic example of it. And it's my question, it's more of a question, I guess, than anything, is why does the net even exist? when the committee seems like they have no interest in using their own metric. The biggest example of this here that stood out to me was St. Mary's. St. Mary's, number seven in the net, compared to Gonzaga, number 10 in the net. They have very similar records. St. Mary's 23-5, and five, Gonzaga 22-5. and five. 
And St. Mary's has beaten Gonzaga head to head. Now, when you look at these, this top 16 reveal, Gonzaga in the reveal as a four seed, St. Mary's not in the reveal. And I just, again, I, it kind of goes back to my last point. It seems like all the committee really cares about is those quad one victories or how many quad one victories you have and kind of how many you've played even because Gonzaga is three and four in seven opportunities and St. Mary's is two and one in three opportunities. So obviously St. Mary's has a better winning percentage there, but Gonzaga has those three quad one, three quad one victories. And of their five losses, four of them are in quad one. So it seems like it's a little bit inconsistent logic here, too, because you can look at St. Mary's and say, well, they have a couple of quad two losses. They have a couple of quad three losses. Well, it didn't seem to hold Arizona back in a very similar scenario compared to UCLA, where Arizona was behind UCLA in the net, but they had beat them head to head. And um, and they had had they had a bunch of of quad one wins. So it seems like there's some things here where it just the application of all these criteria is very convoluted and very confusing. It's like you have this net metric, but you're choosing to use it, the, the rankings, when it just seems inconsistent. It's like if this, is, if this team is number seven in your metric, three spots ahead of another team in their conference, in St. Mary's and Gonzaga's case, or in the Pac-12 case, UCLA is number four, Arizona is number 11, 11 even more drastic. It's like, what is the point of this metric if not to use it in that way? It seems like the committee is more interested in using it to say, okay, these are your quad one wins, these are your quad two wins, etc. But it's like a circular reference at that point. It, to me, the quad one wins... It, Quad one, just to be clear, all these quads are based on the net rankings themselves. So why not use the ranking? It seems like it's almost being completely ignored, at least the raw ranking itself as a comparison tool. And really, the committee is is more delving into these individual quadrants. And again, seems like it's more about who you beat in certain circumstances than who you lost to. And some things are, don't seem to be being applied quite evenly here when you look at that Gonzaga St. Mary's example and that Arizona UCLA example. Uh, it's interesting there and you know it's this is all an inexact science. I mean that's that's for sure. Nobody has ever said this is as much art as it is science. If they really wanted to make it science, they would use the net rankings and just seed teams that way. I don't think that would be the right thing to do. I don't think it would be nearly as much fun, and I don't want to see that happen. But, you know, when you have a selection committee and you have all these different tools to use and things you're looking at, not everything is going to be applied exactly evenly, and it can be hard to determine, you know, what, why a particular ranking or seating occurred. My last thing about the bracket reveal is, you know, up until this point, I hadn't been paying too much attention to the tournament sites and, and where the games are necessarily being played. But after this weekend, I started looking a little deeper into it. And I think there's some interesting geography that comes into play with this. So in this mock bracket, Kansas was the last number one seed and the number one seed in the West region, which will be played in Las Vegas. 
and Arizona is the two seed in that region. I think that's a huge disadvantage for Kansas to play Arizona in Las Vegas, uh, the place where the Pac-12 tournament is going to be played just a couple weeks earlier. Arizona is going to have played there all already, uh, so I think that's a a pretty big advantage for a two seed over a one seed, if you ask me. And there's some, you know, the way that things are kind of shaking out with this geography, Houston has a chance to play the Final Four in its hometown in Houston. But as far as the regionals go, you know, I don't know that there's a site that they particularly care for too much. They could go to Louisville. They could go to Kansas City. They're about even from Houston. Neither is particularly close. Alabama, they definitely want Louisville. It's not so close, but it's not too far. Purdue 100% wants Louisville. It's pretty close. It's like two and a half hours away. And then Kansas absolutely wants Kansas City. I'm not sure where the pack, the Big 12 tournament is this year. It's often in Kansas City. Uh, is it going to be there this year? Yeah, it is. It's at T-Mobile Center again this year. So much like Arizona with the Big with the Pac-12 tournament being played in Las Vegas, uh, it is possible for Kansas to play the Big 12 tournament at the sta- same arena that they end up playing the Sweet 16 Elite Eight at. And uh, Kansas City is very much Kansas country as well. have a huge fan base that is there. They have a huge fan base that will travel there. And it's something that I think is going to be very interesting to watch where you have these two teams in Purdue that would really benefit and want Louisville, Kansas that really wants Kansas City, the other two teams that are currently one seeds, Alabama and Houston, probably don't care as much. But I think nobody wants to be out west in that west region, especially if there's a possibility that you're going to get an Arizona or UCLA team in Las Vegas just a couple weeks after they had played their conference tournament there. And add that on to the you know lack of travel required for those West Coast teams to to get to Vegas compared to a, a school like Alabama or even Houston, for that matter. So geography, I think, is going to be interesting to watch down the stretch and see, can Kansas get Kansas City? Can Purdue get the Louisville region? And will one of those Pac-12 teams end up in Vegas? Now, if there's one team, I think, who was not in this top 16 that may end up in the top 16 come Selection Sunday, to me, it's Creighton especially based on the fact that the committee has shown they're willing to overlook bad losses. And really the only thing holding Creighton's resume back right now is that big losing streak they had that was mostly without Ryan Kalkbrenner in late November, early December, where they had a couple bad losses that really, the Nebraska, BYU, and Arizona State losses, those are the bad losses on their resume there. But, like I said, Kalkbrenner was, did not play in the Arizona State and BYU game, and he did play in the Nebraska game, but two of those three bad losses he did not play in. Now, they have been a different team since he's come back. They have, been, they have taken just one loss since January 14th. They have been on an absolute tear, 8-1 since January 14th. A couple 
big games coming down the stretch here, or really just one huge game, and that's against Marquette on Tuesday. And I think Creighton has a really good chance to run the table the rest of the regular season. That would put them at uh, 20, let's see, that would put them at 22-9, and 16-4 and four in the Big East. If they were to go and make a run in the Big Ten tournament, maybe get to the final, maybe win it, I think that this is a team you could definitely see being in that top 16. So Creighton would be the team that, that I'm looking for to end up in that top 16 that's not in there right now. Okay, that's my thoughts on the bracket reveal, the top 16 from the tournament committee. But let's get into some of the actual games of the weekend, and we'll do winners and losers. So my first winner from the weekend, and I have three, is Kansas. Kansas wins what was the game of the weekend. They beat Baylor 87-71 to at home. And at one point, Baylor was up, and Baylor was up big in the first half. Baylor was up 40-23. to They were up 13 at halftime. And Baylor was looking like this offensive juggernaut that we've been seeing for a while. And you're looking at Baylor, and you're like, man, this backcourt... They just have these guys who can score and score and score. And, uh, you know, I was sitting there thinking, like, maybe Baylor is going to make one of these runs because Baylor has been that team over the past few years where they are the premier program. These, this was a battle of the, the last two teams to win national championships going head-to-head. And Keontae George, Adam Flagler, and LJ Cryer is one hell of a trio in that backcourt and uh you're just thinking like maybe this offense is just that good and can overcome whatever defensive deficiencies there are and then came Kansas and they came storming back they scored 55 in the second half they outscored Baylor 34 to 9 in the first 10 minutes of the second half and they had unbelievably even scoring um, among their team, which is something that we've been talking about for a while where they need help for Jalen Wilson. Jalen Wilson has done so much for this team this year, but at times they've had to rely on him far too much. And they had a, a nice, even scoring distribution. They had four guys with 14 or more points, and that was Wilson, Adams, Dick, and Harris. And they Kansas is starting to feel... Like, they're coming together, and offensively, it's not just the Jalen Wilson show anymore. They're, they got some more even scoring now. They have some other guys stepping up. And in four of its last six games, they've had an adjusted offensive efficiency of 125 or better, according to Bart Torvik. So what does that mean? Well, to put things in perspective, Gonzaga is number one, has the number one adjusted offensive efficiency for the season at 123. In four of Kansas's last six games, they've been at 125 or better. They have been operating essentially as the best offense or above the level of the best offense in the country. That's what Kansas is looking at right now. One of, if not the best offense in the country, and it's not all just Jalen Wilson. Kansas is a huge winner. I think they are clearly and solidly a number one seed. They have a monster game to end the regular season against Texas on the road. 
Texas and Kansas tied at the top of the Big 12 standings right now at 10 and 4. So there's a good chance that that game will determine who gets the number one uh, number one seed in the Big 12 tournament. And like I said, I still think there is a strong possibility that both of those squads could end up with number one seeds based on how much the committee respects the Big 12. Now, for Texas, they're going to have to beat Baylor if they want to do that. They play Baylor on the road uh, next weekend. That's going to be a huge one. But I think of those three teams, don't count out the possibility that Kansas plus either Baylor or Texas end up as number one seeds. Kansas, what a win. They're starting to round into form. Watch out for the Jayhawks to defend their title. My next winner is another TCU team, or is another Big 12 team, and that's TCU. And I I put TCU on this list because Mike Miles returned from a five-game absence due to a knee injury, and he dropped 15 points as Oklahoma as they beat Oklahoma State 100 to 75. They put up an 100 spot in his return, and TCU is a team that had really been struggling without Miles. They went one and four in his absence, uh, dropping from six and three or uh, five and three rather in conference play at the time of his injury to six and seven at his return. Now even things up seven and seven in conference. And they have a really interesting stretch here to end the the season, starting with Kansas at home on Monday night. And they have a home game against Texas as well. So chances galore in the big 12 to always get those quad ones quad one wins to make hay because you are always playing big time competition night in and night out. They're four and eight against quad one teams right now is TCU, but they have those additional chances and they are one of my winners of the week for Mike Miles returning and getting that big win over Oklahoma State. My last winner of the week is Jarkel Joyner from NC State. Earlier this week, in a loss to Syracuse, he had a triple-double, 15 points, 11 assists, and 10 rebounds. And then today, in a win over the Tar Heels, Joyner had 29 points on 11 of 21 from the field, zero turnovers. It was an awesome performance to watch. Uh, Capitalized that win, finished off that win with a big dunk towards the end of the game. But he was making tough shot after tough shot in that game. Really impressive performance from him. I like their backcourt a lot, and it's a big win for NC State, which brings me to my losers of the week. And I am going to start with, I think, the biggest loser of the weekend, North Carolina. North Carolina loses that game to in-state rival NC State. They are now 0-9 in quad one games. Even before losing this game today, they were only listed in 42 of the 93 brackets on bracketmatrix.com. And they are very much a bubble team, and I think they're on the outside looking in right now. We talked about how much the committee is valuing those quad one games and who you beat. Well, every time North Carolina has had a chance to get a big win, they have come up short. They got four games left in conference. They have two road games where they've struggled a lot. They're two and six on the road this season, but they're they're very winnable road games, I believe. They are, I, I believe they're against Notre Dame and let's see, who's the lo- other road game they have? Notre Dame and Florida State. So two bottom feeders in the conference, games they should win, but they've struggled on the road a ton this year. Either way, those games can only hurt Carolina. They're, they're not going to help them. 
win those games doesn't do anything for you. Lose those games hurts you a lot. The more interesting thing is they have two huge home opportunities for quad one wins. They got Virginia at home next Saturday, and then as always, they have Duke to end the season, and they have Duke at home. And those are two games that they are going to really need to get at least one of, if not both, to make themselves feel better about where they stand on the bubble. They had 13 turnovers in today's game. They did not look particularly good. They did not, and they have not looked particularly good for a couple weeks now. Uh, I'm down on this Carolina team. If I had to pick today, I would say they don't make the tournament. I don't see any run happening like uh, like they had last year in the tournament. Uh, if they do find a way to sneak in, this seems like at best a first weekend first weekend team to me. If that, more like a first four team or a Miss the tournament completely, team. North Carolina, one of my losers of the week. Another loser of the week here is Butler. Butler, really bad loss today. Losing to Georgetown, 68-62 to at Hinkle. They're now 13-15 overall, 5-12 and in the league. They gave up 14 offensive rebounds to Georgetown. Just absolutely inexcusable. They only scored 62 against Georgetown, a team they beat 80-51 to on the road earlier this year. Georgetown is one of the worst teams in Power 6 basketball right now. 7-21 overall, 204th in Ken Palm. They have the 232nd ranked defense, and Butler could only put up 62 points. Really bad loss for the Bulldogs, especially at home. Butler wasn't going to make the tournament, but just a loss that doesn't make you feel good about your season in, in Thad Mata's first year returning to the Butler bench. Okay, another team that I guess we could consider a loser of the weekend, but a huge winner earlier this week was my Maryland Terrapins. So want to do a bit of a Maryland minute here because it's been quite an up and down roller coaster. I was prepared to come on this show today and talk about what an unbelievable atmosphere the Maryland-Purdue game was, what an unbelievable win it was for this program, especially in Kevin Willard's first year, how there's so much energy back around this program that had no juice 18 months ago, and how a huge part of that was the lack of big wins that had occurred over the previous six years. The Terps 1-13 and between the 2017 and 2022 seasons against top 10 opponents with the only win coming during uh, the COVID season with no fans in the stands against Wisconsin. It was a December 28th, 2020 game against Wisconsin that was on the road in Madison. So, you know, that, that whole season, just such a, such a bizarre year and nothing really felt like a big win then. So that, that is the lone top 10 win Maryland had over the previous six seasons before getting the win over Purdue. And it, it was a great win. You know, it really had me thinking that this was a Maryland team that we could start thinking about, like, maybe they could get up to a six seed. Maybe they could even get up to a a five or four seed with how the schedule uh, was shaken out down the stretch. I thought they had a lot of winnable games down the stretch. And no doubt Nebraska has been playing a lot better as of late. I think they've won now. See, so yeah, I think it's four of, of its last five. They beat uh, they beat Penn State, they beat Wisconsin, they beat Rutgers, and now they've beat Maryland for to win four of its its last five games. 
And uh, so, you know, it was kind of a trap game coming off an emotional win over the number three team in the country. Maryland was going on the road um, for, for a quick game before returning home for two. And Maryland kind of played like it was a trap game. They did not the, the the most disappointing thing to me is that Nebraska they were able to hold Nebraska to 3 of 16 from deep and typically when you're talking about upsets it's that you know a team was playing at home great energy they were able to make a, t- a bunch of tough shots from from long range three point lines to great equalizer and that's not really what happened here They did not, Nebraska did not make a ton of threes. They were three of 16. Uh, Thought Maryland had a decent defensive performance. Honestly, it was just the offense that we've seen kind of time and time again be Maryland's problem on the road in the Big Ten. And Maryland has just one road Big Ten win, which was a beatdown of Minnesota a couple weeks weeks ago. And, you know, going into this game, that's what made me feel better. It's like, okay, this team has shown the ability to handle business against the bottom feeders in the conference. And Nebraska is playing a lot better at the moment than a bottom feeder. But still, it's a team that has suffered a bunch of injuries this year, a team significantly less talented than Maryland. And it is certainly disappointing for Maryland to lose that game in overtime. Uh, after coming up with such a big win against Purdue. Now, I don't think, you know, you see a lot of reactionary comments like, oh, the, they all the momentum's gone, they blew the opportunity. No, I think this is just kind of the reality of life in the Big Ten this year, where it's very hard to win on the road. You see everybody except for Purdue, and even Purdue struggle at times on the road. Only two teams, Purdue and Northwestern, have winning road records. Everybody else has a losing record uh, on the road as far as, as Big Ten teams are concerned. So I think this is kind of just the the facts of life in the Big Ten this year where no team is great outside of Purdue. And because of that, everybody is kind of bunched together and going on the road is tough. And... Uh, I think it's truly the top tier teams, the elite teams that can find ways to consistently win on the road. My my biggest gripe with Maryland's performance against Nebraska was that Julian Reese is really coming into his own. He has had some huge games recently. He's a guy that kind of seems to to turn things on the most when the when the lights are the brightest, but this was not a bright lights game, and he had a great game. He had uh, 16 points on five of eight shooting, and it's a guy who's shown tremendous development as a sophomore. I question why he only took eight field goal attempts tonight. That's my my biggest qualm is why did Julian Reese not get the ball more in this game? I thought there was certainly an opportunity to, to do so. Um, and especially when you look at, you know, Maryland's been craving that additional scoring threat this year. And uh, outside of Jameer Young, Jameer Young has been unbelievable this season. He's carried a really heavy load. And against Nebraska, Hakeem Hart stepped up and, and was aggressive at the time, made, made a bunch of threes, which was, was great to see. But Dante Scott, 
two of 16 shooting, one of eight from two, one of eight from three. I would have liked to probably see some of those touches go to Julian Reese, who was having a really efficient night and has been really been playing great recently. So uh, certainly a disappointing loss for Maryland, but I think this is kind of what you expect from a team in this seven to 10 seed range. I think now that is kind of realistically still where Maryland is going to end up is in that seven to 10 seed range. I can't see them really getting any higher than a six following this loss. And uh, the way Maryland's been playing on the road, it's going to be a battle for them to go on the road to both Ohio state and Penn state to end the season. Ohio state's a team that has not had a good year. They've lost eight in a row now, but man, it's, it's still good. I still, still think it's going to be tough for them just because Maryland has struggled on the road throughout the season and Penn state's going to be a team that's, that's fighting for it's, it's tournament life. So Terps got two, two home games, two road games, um, I was saying 12 and eight a couple weeks ago is what I thought they'd end up. I kind of upped that to 13 and seven after the Purdue game. Now I think 12 and eight is, is reasonable. Again, that would mean taking one loss. That would mean basically winning. I'll just read the schedule for you. Minnesota at home, Northwestern at home, Ohio state on the road, Penn state on the road. So they'd have to go three and one over that final four game stretch to finish, to finish 12 and eight. Uh, I think that's what they do. And, you know, overall, still really high on this year. We've had some some great moments this year. That Purdue game being the peak. Would have loved to see them be consistent and followed up with a win. But uh, all things considered, still don't think you can ask for much more from Maryland this season. They will, in all likelihood, they are almost assured of a tournament bid at th- this point. I think they kind of locked that up with the Purdue win earlier this week, uh, regardless of that Nebraska loss. Making the tournament this year was always going to be the goal, and uh, they're accomplishing that goal, it seems. So, a roller coaster week for the Terps, but uh, all things considered, still think they're coming out on, on the positive end of this week. Okay, let's look ahead quickly to next week's games. Big one Monday night, TCU versus Kansas. Talked about Miles coming back. Talked about how well Kansas has been playing uh, interested to see that one. It's it's a huge resume, potential resume builder for TCU. And for Kansas, they need it to stay on top of the Big 12. So looking forward to that one on Monday night in Fort Worth. The other game I am looking forward to early in this week is Texas A&M hosting Tennessee. Texas A&M, since January 1st, has been the second best team in the country per BartPorvik.com. They're, they have the 12th best offensive efficiency the seventh best defensive efficiency. They've won five games in a row, and they frankly look like one of the the better teams in the country right now. This is a team that took some very bad losses early in the season, and it seems like they are being discounted a little bit because of that. Uh, since the start of the new year, they are a completely different team. And their bad losses were back in November. They lost to Murray State on November 17th, and they lost to Wofford on December 20th. And those are not good losses. There are no two ways about it. But, man, oh, man, since the start of the new year, they've lost two times. And they've beaten Auburn on the road. They beat Missouri on the road over the weekend. They've beaten Arkansas. Um, they have looked really good, and the the efficiency metrics speak for themselves. I, I love their point guard, Wade Taylor. 
he is a he's kind of a a do it all guy. Um, good scorer, good passer, turns the ball over a little bit at times, but I love his ability to create, love his ability to get to the free throw line um, and create for his teammates, racks up a lot of assists. One of my one of one of the players I enjoy watching is a sophomore there at A and M. And I think this is a team that you got to watch out for. They are only a game behind Alabama in the SEC standings right now, and they host Alabama to end the regular season. So they have Tennessee at home, Mississippi State and Ole Miss on the road, and they end with Alabama to end the regular season. I have a, I believe it's a 26 to 1 bet on them to win the conference. So if it comes down to if they can win these next three and they're hosting Alabama, uh, for a chance to win the conference, that will be very exciting for me and anybody who's tracking what I'm doing in my Back to the Future segment. So um, interested to see how they look against Tennessee because I, I kind of hammered Tennessee even after their win against uh, their win against Alabama, the number one team in the country. And I said, I, I just Tennessee is frustrating to me because they are inconsistent. They don't play great defense against Vanderbilt and Missouri, uh, then they do against Alabama, and then lo and behold, they go on the road, lose to Kentucky. Kentucky puts up 1.05 points per possession. Uh, Tennessee doesn't look good offensively. Kentucky sweeps Tennessee. Not a great look for Tennessee, and I, I really don't trust them come tournament time because of their lack of ability to score. So, uh, But those are the two games I'm looking forward to early in the week. One Big 12 matchup one SEC matchup. It was a great weekend of games, despite that Maryland loss for me. I'm still reeling a little bit, recording this about five minutes after the end of that game. But uh, overall, a great weekend of games. Enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to the week ahead. And I will talk to you later this week to break down next weekend's matchup. We'll do our weekend preview. Enjoy the midweek games, everybody. Until next time, keep the grill hot and the cooler cold.